Buzzkills Live, the show that would never terrorize our fans by having a leaky Giuliani pop out of a costume. I'm Liz Winstead, and I'm joined by my co-host, Moji, Moji Almodale. Hello. And Marie Khan. Hello, everyone. We have breaking news out of Kentucky that a judge has temporarily suspended the law that last Friday effectively ended abortion in that state. We will be joined by Executive Director of Kentucky Health Justice Network, Aaron Smith, to fill us in on this new development and what we can all do to help. Plus, we are going to dive into the breaking news out of Texas, where Phila Bustrix, Wendy Davis, and other abortion stands have filed a lawsuit challenging that state's oppressive bounty hunting law. Joining us in a minute with details is Tanya Pellegrini, Senior Counsel at the Lawyering Project, who is the lawyer representing Davis and company in the suit. And comedian and actor and writer D'Lo Kidd is here to talk about remounting his one-man show, To Tea or Not to Tea, about his hilarious and complicated relationship with testosterone as a trans man. It's a big show, y'all, but before we get to it... um, is there anything y'all want to talk about before we pop in? I really, I really hate to bring up Ted Cruz because it's always a bad, bad idea. But uh, apparently he's looking for some uh, Disney-based uh, fanfic porn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. This is Ted- what happens. You don't even visit your local library. This man is so lost. Someone died him. <laughs> I mean, for Ted, so Ted Cruz... Going off and you know, when when Ted Cruz freelances, free wheels, improvs in a free conversation, balls. Free, free balls, balls. <laughs> free birds. Uh, it's never, it's never great. And so oh. he was giving some kind of talk with some other, you know, hokey right-wing people this weekend and decided to just um say that because Disney supports children and anybody to live their best lives, uh, whether they're gay or trans or what have you. He went on some tirade that Disney was going to include sex scenes between Mickey and Pluto in all of their movies now. And (laughs) so, yeah, that's uh, so you're just kind of like you're and and then people are like, well, that's terrible. That's interspecies sex. And I was like, it's cartoons. They're not a species, really. They're just drawn. Yeah. And I'm sort of all for interspecies sex if you have a labradoodle you're basically mixing and matching breeds so i mean also like (laughs) ted cruz this already exists disney's just not doing it (laughs) i know yeah but like how do you jump from racist baby to like disney fanfic porn it's weird i mean i feel like some smart animators should make a pluto mickey Oh, you know, OnlyFans site <laughs> where they could just relive their their fun <laughs> fantasies out. But um, that's the world we're living in. And, you know, it's a good representative of our top story because Texas, as we all need to remember that Ted Cruz made his mark on civilization um, as the Solicitor General of Texas trying to ban the sale 
of dildos um, in yes. in bulk of six or more. So, Mo, so Marie, maybe you want to kick. <laughs> Maybe it, it just is a nice, perfect lead to have a Texas dildo. Uh, talk about um, some people who are challenging Texas dildos. And uh, that's how I'm going to lead you, Marie, into your breaking news story. Well, it has been 233 days of Texans being harmed by their horrible six-week ban slash vigilante law. This harm has not only been to folks trying to access abortion care, but also to those trying to fundraise to support these costs, in particular abortion funds and practical support orgs. Well, folks, we have some hope in former Texas State Senator Wendy Davis, who has a plan to challenge this. If you'll remember, back in 2013, Senator Davis filibustered on the Senate floor for 13 hours and with on-the-ground activists stopped SB 5, the mother kraken of horrific abortion bans, from going into effect. Wendy Davis is now back challenging, yes, yes, this latest unconstitutional law as a private citizen. And along with the Stigma Relief Fund, which receives donations and grants to fund abortion care, they have filed a lawsuit to toss out this law on the grounds that not only is it unconstitutional, but it's been allowing citizens to relentlessly harass abortion funds and donors, targeting them for their contributions, which still is a protected form of free speech, even in 2022. I'm I'm sure Ted Cruz has got his eyes on that. (laughs) Literally rolling over in his coffin, he sleeps in. (laughs) (laughs) With his... With his half a half dozen dildos. Oh, oh, no. Back to this matter at hand. We have a lawsuit. Even names individual harass holes, signs a big, big flashlight on one in particular on this Texas state rep side. Um, this miniature Chucky doll had recently went after and threatened abortion funds with a cease and desist letter and posted them to Twitter. And I know we gave you all a lot to unpack there. So joining us with a quick update is Tanya Pellegrini, Senior Counsel at the Lawyering Project and the lawyer arguing this case. Welcome, Tanya, to the show. Thanks. I'm very excited to be here today with y'all. It feels very exciting for us because um, this new lawsuit uh, gives everybody a little bit of hope that um, possibly we can shut this down once and for all. So I'm wondering if you can lay out for our listeners what the new angle is in this case And talk about the threats that are coming to funds and donors, which were the inspiration to bring this suit. Yeah. So this case that we filed earlier this week, um, it's on behalf of former Texas State Senator Wendy Davis. And it's also um, we're joined by the Stigma Relief Fund, which is a fund in Texas. And we also have some donors that donate to the Stigma Relief Fund, and there are also board members for Stigma Relief. Um, And so the new angle with this case is that the prior SBA challenges had been against government officials and state actors, and these are actually against private individuals and one Texas representative who have been making threats publicly on social media and also um, taking actions with the court to sue uh, abortion funds and practical support funds and also donors to those funds and have been making threats on Twitter and other forms saying that donors can be sued. And so this lawsuit is really to challenge 
this behavior that is aimed at stopping people from donating to funds and to scare them um, with threat of lawsuits under SBA. And so we're hopeful this time because the Supreme Court and the other cases had said that the defendants weren't the proper ones because SBA makes it so that government officials can't enforce SBA. And so these are actually private individuals that are taking these steps against donors and funds. And so we're hopeful that this will be something that can't just be thrown out based on that kind of a technicality. So is it is it is it a harassment lawsuit? Is it a threatening lawsuit? Like I'm trying to figure out what the positioning is on it and, and how it all works. Yeah, so it's actually challenging the constitutionality of SB8 itself. And so we're asking the court not to enjoin these individual people, but to declare SB8 itself as being unconstitutional so that it will give abortion providers, um, you know, some protection about what the federal courts have said about the law not being constitutional. We, I have been actually been on Twitter and seen some of these attacks um, by a particular legislator in uh, <laughs> Texas, um, an unfun-sized Texas rep. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know if you are the person to be petty with us, but can you talk about Briscoe Kane? <laughs> yeah, because we have been following him for a long time and Briscoe Kane, and if you can't be petty with us, that's fine. But he has lived in our universe for so long now that... Um, we yeah. were just so excited that somebody is finally suing him for any reason. For anything. And for the any fact reason. that there is a super good reason makes us really happy. Give us some history on this monster. There is my words. <laughs> well, I, I wish I could get very petty into this. Um, the one thing <laughs> I will say, though, the one petty thing I will say is that he doesn't have that many followers. So on Twitter, <laughs> these threats are not being seen by millions of people. Um, so that will be my petty comment there. <laughs> but he has a history. I mean, we have footage of him in Austin in front of the Texas State House, standing with an organization called Abolish Human Abortion and screaming and threatening, honestly, what sounds like take up arms against abortion. And it's really terrifying. He's terrifying. Yeah, it is terrifying. Um, and I think, you know, part of the goal with this lawsuit as well, with the declaratory um, judgment that we're seeking is to show that this behavior is not okay, this threatening of donors, uh, threatening of abortion funds. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely correct. It is, it is terrifying. And so we're hoping that the court will say that SBA, you know, is unconstitutional and hopefully it'll help at least with the stopping the threats to donors and funds as well. Would you I wanna, envision? I just oh, want to point out that when you say donors, you're just talking, you're talking about people like you and I who decide to give money to abortion funds. Like we're not even talking about major organizations with a lot of money. We're just talking about normal people who are like shit in Texas is fucked up and we would like to give our $20 to make it a little better. Right. Absolutely. It's just anybody who cares about stopping fucked up shit, like she said, <laughs> and wants to donate money to these funds that do just incredible work that we know have been, you know, moving mountains to make it so that people in Texas can access their constitutional right to an abortion. Um, and so, so yeah, it's just everyone that donates to these funds that do incredible work to make this happen. 
Anya, thank you so much. Before we close out, I just wondered if you wanted to give a quick sentence about the lawyering project as well, because I know this is this right now is a very defined component. And I know like all of your work supports abortion. Yeah, so at the Loring Project, uh, we work with partners in states like Texas, Indiana, and Minnesota to challenge anti-abortion restrictions. And when I say partners, I mean, we work with the funds, as I said, that do incredible work. Uh, We work with providers themselves. We work uh, with patients um, of abortion care. And we um, also work with healthcare providers to expand access to abortion and especially medication abortion. Um, And so not just in Texas, but all over the country, we're trying to you know, remove restrictions that make it hard mm-hmm. for people to access abortion. And it's not just laws like SB8, which of course is just a completely awful law, but it's also restrictions that we know make it hard for folks to access abortion, like the cost or waiting periods, parental consents, things like that too, that we are trying to um, take away those restrictions that stop people and prevent them from getting abortion care. I tell you one question. And also, by the way, if I'm not mistaken, the Lowering Project is a 501c3, which means you can make a tax-deductible donation to the Lowering Project. Am I right on that? That is correct. We- All right. <laughs> and we will put the links for that also. But the one thing I wanted to ask before we go is, if this lawsuit succeeds, um, talk a little bit about what that means and the breathing room that it will give for other things that, because there's a lot of copycat laws we're hearing about, all that kind of stuff. I'd love to know what that would mean for all of those laws that are being passed as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our ultimate goal is for providers to be able to provide abortion care and for people to be able to access abortions. Um, And also, you know, a bigger goal as well is, like you said, to show these other copycat states and to set these precedents that these kinds of laws are unconstitutional. And so we're hoping that it will have a much bigger impact, which we already know that the impact SB8 has had in Texas is much broader than Texas, right? People have to travel out of state and that's, um, you know, causing um, strains on other states and the resources there in terms of folks accessing abortion. And so we're really hoping that this will be a message that these kinds of laws are unconstitutional. And also, you know, just that the Loring Project and a lot of other great organizations and people, we're not going to stop fighting. Um, This is something that we care deeply about. And no matter what happens, we're going to continue to fight for people's rights. That is awesome. Well, um, thank you so much. And just quickly, where can people follow the progress of this case and where it's going? So on our website, they can go to the Loring Project's website and we do press releases and updates on there as well. Awesome. And we will also be following it and following it on our podcast and having it in our social feeds as well. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us. We will be following this closely and we are so thrilled that you are here. Thank you all. I really appreciate you having me on here and all the work that you do. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tanya. We'll be following the story closely, but now we're going to give go over to Moji with some shenanigans in Kansas where they want to amend the constitution to basically erase women. Moj. Erasing women for the win. Uh, <laughs> legislators and the legislators in Kansas are out here 
literally trying to change their constitution in their effort to end abortion in the state. So currently the Kansas Bill of Right includes the right to abortion rightfully, but we all know anti-abortion advocates are opposed to us having nice things. So they're trying to sneak in an amendment in the constitution during a primary election in August because let's be honest, who votes in August? Right. <laughs> this new piece of douchery is called the Value Them Both Amendment. And they basically want to put in the state constitution that a fetus has the same value as a pregnant person carrying said fetus. So like if you value a fetus the same as you value a person carrying a fetus, then you have a really low value for people, right? Like I've never had a fetus take me out for coffee or give me a hug when I was feeling low. But I guess if you value them both, maybe you don't like hugs and coffee. Maybe you don't like people with uteruses. You definitely don't value people who can't afford to fly to New York or LA for basic fucking healthcare. So fuck you, Kansas. <laughs> also ah, these bitch. kind of bands, they like don't stand up. Like they, they happen because they'll like make up some stupid trap law and then they'll go to litigation and then <laughs> And then in litigation, judges will be like, no, 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 right to abortion stands in the Constitution because it's just a basic human right. Yeah, I know. Also, they tried this before in 2020, didn't they? And yes, it was called yeah. the Kansas No Right to Abortion in the Constitution Amendment. Yes. And then yes. people were like, fuck off. So then they tried to call it the um, love them both or value them both or value them. Yeah. whatever fucking bullshit that they have to say about it. But you know, the one thing that I want to say that is interesting about this is we know that people overwhelmingly support people's right to abortion. And so these constitutional amendments, on the one hand, you're like, yeah, put it to the voters. Look how great it did in Colorado, right? Minnesota, like there's states that have codified it. But like, it's just so they're That's why they're trying to upend voting laws and have voter suppression so that people can't vote for these things that the people want so that we can constantly have these lopsided uh, legislatures that don't represent the will of the people. And I think it's really scary. And cynical and truthfully, the people who vote in August are the people who don't go on vacation or who like don't have other things to do or who are not caring for their kids during the months that school's not happening. Like, Or old people who wanna get out of the house. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Like my, like, you know, it's like, I'm not being ageist. I'm just saying old people vote in every election because yes. it's a chance to go to have a split a hamburger afterwards. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, all those people are like super stoked that August 2nd, they get to go, you know, vote. There won't be any lines. And this is why we have to like remind everyone that like abortion rights and voting rights are siblings and we have to mm -hmm. fight for them all equally. And we have to remember that we can fight for abortion at the ballot boxes, that it matters. Every single election matters. I think that that's a good pivot because also um, we're going to we're going to transition to our guests because Kentucky is doing this this fall as well, putting it yeah. on the ballot to the Kentucky voters and our and our guest is going to talk about that along with all the other fuckery that's happening in Kentucky. So last Friday, the state of Kentucky enacted a series of laws that shut down all abortion care. And for the first time in 49 years, a state in this country went without an abortion provider. But 
ding, ding, ding. This law has been put on hold, like literally just now, and care can resume immediately. So joining us to break down this law and give us the updates on abortion access in Kentucky is Aaron Smith, Executive Director of Kentucky Health Justice Network, a practical support abortion fund, a trans health advocacy program, and the organization leading the fight against this measure. Oh my gosh, Erin, thank you for being here with us. We just got such good news out of Kentucky. Why don't you break the news and tell us what's happening there? Yes, so the judge uh, just put a temporary hold on uh, Kentucky abortion law so we can resume abortion services here in the state. Yay! Wow, (laughs) that is such good news. Erin, will you give for the folks who don't know uh, an overview of this law and just all the things in it that were just beyond garbage? Yeah, so uh, I always start by saying that HB3 was passed because of override, right? Uh, A veto override. So our governor vetoed uh, HB3 and other hateful pieces of legislation that are coming out of Kentucky. There is a whole slate of them, Um, but he vetoed all of them. And then on the 13th of April, uh, the House and Senate overrode a majority of his vetoes. Um, mostly the ones that affect people, (laughs) immediately affect people, uh, like uh, HB3, uh, the omnibus bill. And that piece of legislation uh, is very wild. Uh, There has been a pattern here of of passing legislation without action plans. And it's leaving a lot of legislators and people in various cabinets and apartments just like confused, uh, not knowing how to comply, not giving any sort of sense of direction. But also there's so many things that are illegal within uh, <laughs> these laws. So HB3 had a, a portion where it's talking about a, uh, a portal, a reporting portal uh, for doctors who are prescribing abortion pills. Then there was another part about fetal remains are going to be processed as actual uh, human remains are not like medical waste, right? So that means that morticians um, under HB3 had a certain amount of time to process fetal remains and, and issue a death certificate uh, for an aborted fetus, right? Uh, <laughs> then there was the, uh, they wanted pharmacists to uh, build a system uh, that kind of kept track of all the abortion pills that were being uh, distributed. It's just so many things. And, and uh, there's a senator, we have a state senator here, Senator Berg, who is a physician, who has said many, many times and said, hey, this goes against what I do as a physician. Uh, we are putting, uh, several other senators, you know, we're putting religion and morality into law, which is what's happening, not just here in Kentucky, but in every other state where we've seen these battles go down, right? Um, uh, the, the few Democrats that we have in Senate were, you know, actually walked out the day that it passed, uh, before it got vetoed, they walked out and they staged the walkout. And then when they left, it was a sweeping just, yes, because we do have a super, super majority here. Um, having a super majority is, it's extremely frustrating because uh, even though we have, you know, our governor who who does you know, stand up for these rights and, and people, uh, he gets shut out. Uh, he has, you know, done what he can, but with our process and with, you know, how laws are made and what people, um, the House and Senate can do to override veto, uh, definitely have been using that override heavy. 
this legislative session, but uh, we're still standing and we're standing taller today. Uh, before today, I spent, <laughs> I spent a lot of time talking to uh, press saying like, hey, we're, you know, we're basically going to be outsourcing abortion, uh, which is something we had always done, but it would have been our only option because when clinics fill up here in Louisville, um, you know, we have, that's our, that's what we're left to doing. So for anyone who needs like a multiple day procedure or anything like that, we would have to send them to our neighbors in Ohio and Illinois. Um, so that was becoming our only option. Uh, our only option before today, before this news, uh, was that we're going to have to outsource abortions. We're going to have to have conversations and we're still going to have to have these conversations um, with our volunteers and our staff so that they can know that they're protected. Uh, we're getting calls from people who are just afraid, um, scared. Uh, same thing with our Facebook message or, you know, we're getting support and we're, but we're also getting like some serious concerns and questions. Um, a lot of people feel like every law that is coming out against abortion is going to be like the one in Texas and it's not. Um, but it's a regional fear because that's what we hear. That is exactly what we hear in the media. So it's reasonable, but that's not necessarily you know what it is. But because of misinformation gets around so quickly, um, and then you add fear, and then you add fear of criminal charges and persecution, it gets real bad real quick. Um, so uh, basically, saying you know, KHAN, even still, even now, uh, even in this victory, uh, we will always do. Our mission. We will always work to strive and and do what's in our mission and to help people and support people who are uh, looking for abortion services. And we're going to continue to do that until the state says we can't. And well, it's really going to have to take something from the state delivered to us, delivered to me, saying to stop. And but we're not stopping anytime soon. Well, Aaron, I really want to dive into all the work you do in a second, but I also before we continue. I want to really lay out for our listeners who a lot of folks, because the media is so illiterate, it does exactly what you said, you know, like they are, they hear this information and they get scared. And I think the thing about this Kentucky law that is terrifying and also super educational is that this, this way to throw so much stuff in that um, requires weird compliance from the state that they didn't have set up to enact it. Like when they said every single abortion has or medical, when you send out pills, you have to register. The person that makes the pills has to register like all of this bureaucratic nonsense that a clinic and a person who's supplying the medication abortion can't comply with. So that's why shit shut down. It's not like Oklahoma or Texas where they're like, this is bill HB3 and it's called the we're banning all abortions bill, right? And so the sneakiness to me and the it's going into effect immediately piece, I think is something that, uh, and also the, the, the having to register the inseminator and give their information as though they have some sort of ownership over someone's body is like wild to me. I mean, it's all really wild. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's definitely, um, I mean, it's been really sneaky. You said that correctly the first time. The whole uh, theme of this past session, if I can describe it, has been just sneaky. We've heard so many excuses as to like, um, like using COVID as a reason why people can't come and lobby or come and speak in committee and then cutting the time in committee. And then there was a whole thing where um, I went to testify when it was still in committee. And 
one of the uh, representatives, and this is Senate committee, so one of the Senate representatives was speaking. What we did not know is that they took time from us to allow her to speak um, because she was against the the legislation. Um, so you know, if we had like four or five, we have four or five people with us and I didn't get a chance to speak and the person after me didn't get a chance to speak because they called time and they've been really strict about that. Um, but the reason is tactics. The day of the override, they recessed for dinner. And then when they came back from dinner, uh, HB3 was the first one that they heard. So, you know, we already know that's to stress out and wear out the, the demonstrators that were outside. Um, I was actually at a conference uh, and I was explaining at the conference, what was going on? I said, there's a chance that I am going home to a very different Kentucky than when I left. And that's what happened. Um, and I knew it was going to happen while I was gone, but everything was already set in stone. And uh, <laughs> to be in a space where uh, other people around you know what you're going through and know what's happening in your state, and then you all wake up the next day and it's the first thing you see on the news. Um, it was a, an experience, but then I was there with some people from Florida too. So we both kind of had the same looks on our faces at the conference. Like, yeah, we're about to go home to this. Like, this is our work. This is um, our, our next <laughs> six months has been planned out for us basically uh, in one broadcast. And um, it was just really something to, to go through, to experience, to come home, to, to talk with my staff, um, to know that we have people calling and concerned. Uh, worried, scared uh, to know that our abortion clinic, our full-time abortion clinic at EMW, were going through their own process and their own grief, um, not just for abortion, but the fact that they had lost a, a staff member, a very close staff member, uh, a few weeks before that. Um, so, so their grieving was, our grieving here was very, you know, different. Um, it was very like the loss of a family member type of grief. Um, that, that yeah. component, Aaron, what you're discussing about centering the clinic and centering your clients and everyone that comes there, like as a reminder to our listeners, KHJ and like, hasn't left. So they've, y'all have been there yeah. for years. Um, and you support a lot more of a, than abortion. Um, and I'm wondering now what the biggest obstacles for people seeking help from KHJ and for their abortion care now look like. Um, and how do you all support them? What are what are you there and able to provide, especially now in the moment that Kentuckians hopefully will be able to resume access care in the state? So uh, basically, there's just so many parts that we have to answer first. First, we're still taking on callers. We're still caring for the callers. But um, we went from hot and cold so quickly that it's, it's almost like we have to now proceed as like, this is our original plan, but this is, has to be our backup plan. Um, the only thing when you're dealing with medical things that you are on a strict timeline and that's really um, what we're trying to, to beat. We're trying to beat the buzzer every single time uh, with, with our callers. Um, some are able to do at home abortions, um, but some you know might need a day, might need two day procedure. And those are the ones where it's like, okay, like we, we really have to, to lay out all of our options and just plan for if we have to switch, right? Because we can go mm -hmm. through, we can go through uh, another week and I have and be like, and get it reversed. You know, it can go back and forth for a while. Um, and depending on how the courts see it uh, <laughs> and how it's, you know, how the process is. Uh, but KSHAN is still here. Uh, we will always be here. 
Uh, we are still taking on callers. We're still taking volunteers. Uh, we are halting training only so we can get information to give to our volunteers so that they can feel secure uh, in the work that they're doing and they don't feel intimidated in any way by rumors or misinformation that they're safe, that their families are safe, um, that our callers will be safe, that staff will be safe. Uh, it was only several, a few months ago that a clinic in Tennessee was Molotov cocktail. Like these are very yep. real things that are still happening. This is still happening. It's 20, mm-hmm. well, 2021, 2022. Like here we are. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is just and, a sequel and, to all of that. Like yeah, it's yeah. disgusting and being written in real, real time. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's what it is. But, you know, on top of that, we're still providing uh, gender affirming care through our trans health advocacy. One of the things that is very frustrating um, with all of this is that people forget that this is an intersectional issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is something that that intersects in so many different ways. I mean, perfect example. I am a queer non-binary birthing person. Uh, I do not have children. I want them one day. I would like to have the option to make a decision however I see fit. Uh, with myself, but there's, I don't get talked about as a queer non-binary person. I only get to refer to as woman uh, mm-hmm. throughout committee meetings and legislation. It is woman, woman, woman. No one talks about the trans community. No one talks about the non-binary community, but we're here. We are right here. And that's not just a Kentucky issue. That's a national conversation issue. Nope. Um, <laughs> Aaron. And I've, I've come against every single time. I wanted, and, to, I wanted to ask you about that because with with doing that kind of care, a lot of the people that we're talking to and clinics that we're talking to that do gender affirming care and, and other kind of care, it has been, they've been so bombarded because of the abortion care that that care, it's like, it's hard to provide all this care because the clients that need abortions are just like taking over and people are really worried about capacities for all kinds of care. How are you dealing with that? Uh, well, one of the things that I always tell um, my funders or people ask what we need, I said, honestly, I need salaries for three more staff members. Uh, and that's not just salary. We want to provide them with health care. We want to provide them with, you know, mm-hmm. the benefits that people deserve to uh, not just be working, but to be working in, in these movement spaces, right? Um and in and how we're able to still do what we're doing. So right now we uh, everyone's at capacity. I'm at capacity. I'm doing a lot of press calls right now. I'm doing a lot of uh, legislative check-ins. I'm doing a lot of you know research and just looking at uh, what's going on in other states. Uh, how are my part community partners doing? How are you know how are we able to connect and try to create. Uh, programs and, and pieces that just educate people. I'm a part of a coalition. I'm a part of uh, Protect Kentucky Access, which is the uh, coalition that has been formed to fight the ballot measure that'll be uh, in November, right? So uh, somehow, some way we're able to, people, when people understand our workload has increased, uh, so people are patient, which I appreciate. Uh, we do have our trans health director who has been absolutely amazing pride is coming up prides are happening they're actually happening in person this year so we're getting ready for that uh but there's still the need for um gender affirming care there's still the need for uh to make sure that people can have access to an abortion if they need one or access to whatever gender affirming care needs right um i outside of myself i do have other non-binary and trans 
uh, people on my staff and my board, right? So anytime when I am in spaces and is woman-centered, um, I'm obligated to step, speak up, not just for myself, but for all of them, for all uh, the ones who uh, don't get included in the studies or mm-hmm. um, or research. And that's a really real thing. You know, you hear a lot of studies that are only based on cis hetero women, does not include the trans or queer community. So there's a whole uh, group of people and whole studies that are being left out in these conversations, but those are the ones who are, we're the ones who are mostly affected, especially black and brown communities. Um, We are are looking at the most certain end of Roe v. Wade this year, and that is terrifying. So like, what are the kind of conversations that you're having with your team and other abortion funds right now? What kind of plans are you making to weather the coming more intensified storm? So, I mean, history shows us that when government fails us, people will always take care of people. So we are leaning heavy on our community, our community partners. Uh, people are coming in and asking, what can I do? How can I help? Even the people who I've done interviews with as press, they're asking, how can I help? What is there that I can do? And of course, I would say share information, right? Mm-hmm. So that is something that is the easiest thing for anyone to do. Share information, donate, donate time if you have it, donate money if you have it. Um, because inflation is wild. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's a very real thing. Uh, but with, you know, Kay and Yan and my other community partners, it's just, we've constantly have to be able to adapt and adapt quickly. We also have to be able to organize quickly and thoroughly organize because there's nothing worse than trying to do something. There's too many listens where it's more confusing than when you started. Right. Uh, we are looking at large groups like plan C and we're actually fortunate enough to be able to have a partnership with uh, our conference take root, um, which is every October and plan C, right. Plan C is, is huge in advocating to get abortion and at home abortion pills delivered to your mailbox. Um, looking and seeing what they're doing. Can we do it in Kentucky? Looking at our laws and seeing other options to get people access here. And that's really what we're doing. That is really, uh, we're also strategizing the timeline that we are given. I mentioned that we have a ballot measure in the fall. We also have to get totally going to ask you about that. So, what, is, <laughs> what is this ballot initiative? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, for sure. So this ballot initiative is essentially going to uh, put a yes, no vote on abortion in Kentucky. Uh <laughs> And so, you know, with with all of that, it is um, it's scary because you see where the supermajority has uh, tried to create a backup plan, a plan to the backup plan to yes. the backup plan, right? So now we're looking at backup plan uh, with the Supreme Court, and then the backup to the backup plan with the ballot measure, right? Um, <laughs> And that's been insane, but the ballot measure is, you know, protectkentucky.com uh, and fully spell out Kentucky if you if you all go and look it up. But it's basically saying that, you know, if uh, if this passes, if it is supported um, through the amendment, we will see our constitutional rights just completely vanish. Um, and no matter how many times you, you know, you can try to argue logic, we are clearly dealing with the state legislator that does not, does not care about logic or science, biology, uh, 
Or truthfully, even the constitution, because I was, I've been looking at these yes. constitutional ballot initiatives and it's like, they have them because the constitution, essentially whenever it comes up, they're like, oh yeah, the right to abortion is protected. And then they're like, well, we can't have this. So like, let's <laughs> just like true. remove it from the constitution and let's ask, you know, the people who show up at random elections to do it with oh, us. Yeah. But I of also course. feel and like, oh, I just gonna say quickly, I also feel like this is why we desperately need to work with voting rights advocates, because if they're going to put this on a ballot and they're trying to suppress the vote because they know that the majority of people think that other people deserve access to abortion, like this is the way we were talking about it earlier in the show. This is the thing that we feel so afraid of with these constitutional amendments. It's like we can't we we can because a lot of times it's like, do you feel, Aaron, that your legislators reflect the people of Kentucky or is it, or is Kentucky skewed like everybody else where it's just right. like a bunch of goons and then the state thinks another way? Oh, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> absolutely not. I, I think that our state legislature only has, um, has like the super majority right now is just because those are the people they were able to get to vote. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Kentucky was real hard in riding that Trump wave. Um, and one of the things that always bothered me was that because we have not as a state put more money into education, accessibility to healthcare, um, we do not have a statewide sex education program. We still have parts of Kentucky that does not have uh, clean, safe drinking water. Um, there are, and we know that internet's a privilege, right? There's even parts of my city where the signal just is horrible. You can't get anything and it goes dark, right? But that's what they took advantage of. That's where people took advantage of, of just the lack of education and then keeping it and keeping it so intentionally. Yep. To intentionally yeah. keep people in disenfranchised and educated. And that was how, you know, we won. Now, I'm not going to say that's just the only reason how. Uh, other mistakes that I, I can see was that, you know, there was not enough of care or attention put into the candidates. We also have a state that's full of Dixiecrats who say that they're Democrats, but they do not support the full Democratic Party platform. Uh, it's too liberal. Yeah. Uh, it, like, they Aaron, don't, we have people who are oh. Democrats who don't support uh, student loan forgiveness. And it's like, <laughs> yeah it that entirely unto itself could be a whole off the books discussion we can, oh. we can talk to you all Aaron. we can talk to you all day man thank you so much yes thank you for joining us we want to remind folks if you want to support the work of khjn you can donate at kentuckyhealthjusticenetwork.org and as Aaron mentioned visit protectkentucky.com and learn about this ballot initiative that is so targeting and so horrific that the state is facing again thank you Aaron. Coming up, comedian D'Lo Kidd joins us to talk about the reboot of his incredible one-man show about his transition. But first, we are going to play Six Degrees of Abortion, a game where Moji and I pick a big story from the news this week, and Liz has six guesses to tie it to abortion. Let's, let's go. do it. All right, let's, let's see. What is it? What is it? What is it? Ready to rumble. Okay, this one seems kind of fun um, for Marie and I. We were excited. Marie, do you want to do the setup or you want me to? You can. You can. Okay. So, um, California, uh, first of her name, uh, recently the legislators put forth a, a legislator put forth a proposition to shorten the work week from 
five days a week to four days a week for large corporations with no reduction in pay. Um, and so we would like you to link abortion to a four-day work week. You deadbeats. You are deadbeats. <laughs> this is unbelievable that you are doing this. <laughs> for one year at Abortion Access Front, we went to a four-day paid week work week so that our staff could literally work and get paid for five days and work for four I cannot believe how short your memory is. That is actually wow. valid. That was literally one that. step in chastisement. Ooh, that is a good point. We did not, we had Mondays off. That's right. Yeah, no, we did. I did not forget that. That was glorious. Yeah. So I'm going to take a point of privilege because the producer of our podcast is my partner in crime at running this fucking stink show. And I would like her to come on just for a moment to have some feelings. Kat, I just, could you- I, I, I just, I just yelled. I was, I was, <laughs> and I was screaming over here. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Like, it's us. Like, really <laughs> thank you. We didn't need a, we did not need a state to enact a law to tell us to be good to our fucking people. So I did it in one, yay me, I'm the winner, best boss award, somebody send me a mug, I win. Oh my God, you guys are too much and I cannot even. Um, I, 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 we're done, we're done, moving on. Where, where are we at? I love that Kat came in with this one. That was great. I know. I know. Oh, all right. Regrouping, (laughs) y'all. Before we dive in with D'Lo, we couldn't bring you today's episode of FBK Live without our wonderful sponsor, Baby Dropbox. Hey, do you ever worry about not having enough space in your life for an accidental pregnancy? Constantly. Well, worry no more. Baby Dropbox is here. Baby Dropbox is the perfect way to anonymously dump the baby you were forced to carry to term after Roe is overturned. Wait, doesn't that just make you state-mandated potting soil and the baby someone else's problem? All while supporting a problematic system of abuse, exploitation, and neglect? That's the idea. Simply visit your nearest Baby Dropbox and drop that baby in like it's 1997 and your VHS of Twister is two days past due. Look for Baby Dropbox outside your local church or fire station. Don't forget to tell them Amy Coney Barrett sent you. (laughs) I like the reference to Twister. Uh, Because because truthfully, be kind, rewind, is technically what we're saying when we support Ah! abortions. Yes. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Even in the condition you found it, motherfucker. Oh my god. <laughs> Baby Dropbox, we have the best sponsors. Oh my god. Um, this show has been off the rails, but fun. Uh, well, okay, I'm gonna get to our guests because sometimes, honestly, you just gotta book your friends on your podcast if you ever want to talk to them. And today we are so excited to have actor, writer, comedian. Tamil Sri Lankan badass and vocal abortion stan, D'Lo Kid. Woo! D'Lo, how are you? I'm okay. You know how I'm I'm doing. How are you doing, Liz? How are you feeling? You know, 
I feel like it's always a dance in a way where um, <clears throat> I don't know what the solutions are, but I know that hopefully by doing inspiring work that people will want to drive towards them and drive towards support and drive towards sort of demonizing terrible people and demonizing terrible ideas and then inspiring them to like just be part of a group of people that actually care about humanity. Yeah. So um, yeah, you're doing it. You're basically the shining example of that work. I'm trying, my friend. Oh, I'm trying. You're but doing a good damn job. So I cannot wait to talk to you about the reboot of the show and about like just working in right now in a time where there just seems to be a lot of not great things going on. But honestly, we have to talk about, <laughs> well, Moji's really excited. Oh my gosh. So we it. saw a clip of you at Oscar's Night at the Museum. Oh. <laughs> where you were like, oh shit, I had something scheduled, but now the slap just happened. Oh my God. And like, can you tell our audience like what was going yeah. through your mind? Hey, what happened? Oh. And then like, what was going through your yeah, mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So the way that they had set it up is that while it was at the Academy of Motion Pictures and they were doing a live stream of the Oscars and like over a thousand people had already signed up for this thing, right? So they had been like, because they were like, you know what, we just want to ride in this really tight. And, you know, sometimes first time producers, because this is the first time they're doing it, they were like, um, you know, we, we want it to be too, like y'all come in during the commercial breaks and y'all do bits and then you go. So there were four of us and each of us had two minute slots. Uh, sorry, each of us had two slots, two and a half minutes long. So I do my first bit and I'm just, you know, rapping with the crowd. We're having a good time. I, I kill it. I feel like, oh, I killed my two and a half minutes. I'm about to do this next one. And I was like, just chilling. And I we were looking and Chris Rock came on and I was like, oh, okay, I can say something about him. And then this whole thing happened. And, and I'm like, did the, did, is this, you know, all the things that everybody, because we watching it live and, and then the sound goes out and then I see the camera right on Will's face as he says that thing that he says. And I'm like, oh my good God. And I'm like, what do I do? And and I've had jokes about Will and Jada just being like the, the biggest polyamorous couple ever and that they just, you know, th they could probably write the books. Um, and because especially because they do it so stealth, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like oh, yeah. August Alcino, like we just, because August Alcino himself talked about it. But I'm like, they probably have it all mafia style where they just pay off people that they're fucking, right? Can I say fucking here? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, you say fucking. Please say so, fucking. So it's I was an abortion so, podcast. Yeah, I know. I figured. So um, anything with Liz. So um, so, so I, I came out there and I was like, and thankfully somebody was getting, somebody was on Twitter. Somebody was like, so I was like gathering all this intel. And then I go back out there and I'm like, Hey, so something just that everybody was also none of them could get reception in that hall in the David Geffen. So they were some people had left just so that they could go um, find out what the hell happened. And so I was like, look, this and I told them what was up. And so in the joke, I'm like, you know, um, this is what happened. And Chris Rock had, you know, the history. I don't want to repeat any of this because we've heard it a hundred times before. But I was basically saying how Chris Rock has been going after Jada and that. Um, now he's gone after her hair and she has this hair loss condition and Will got pissed. And I said, I don't know about y'all, but I'm with Jada. 
And I said, um, because, and, and I didn't have, I, I, I couldn't be like, oh yeah, I, I don't, I should have said, I don't condone violence of any sort, but, or, or just, you know, like, why are we going around slapping motherfuckers? But, but I, I was like, um, I'm with Jada and, and my joke was that I'm with Jada because, you know, since being on T, I've lost all my hair. I've been bald, but like, now that I know that I'm properly bald, you know what I'm saying? That, that I'm not just like picking it, but like, it's <laughs> gone, you know? And I'm like, and I hate where people make jokes about bald people I'm like just don't do it I'm like it's like tall people like tall people hate hearing well how's the weather up there I'm like just stop it so um so I, we went but but I did lean into that polyamorous bit a bit a, li- a bit longer because I was like I had the biggest crush on Jada the biggest crush I think she's so sexy fine yeah. oh the big like in set it off like Set It Off is one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it's like such a powerful, powerful movie. Mo- Moji and Marie haven't seen it. Of course I've seen Set It Off. Okay, because okay. okay. y'all, y'all... black woman of a certain Because <laughs> y'all, y'all didn't do the thing that I was expecting, which was like... I haven't seen it, sadly. <laughs> It's okay. Marie, I won't Marie was out singing the world. Marie was out doing do good. That is Most... when Queen Latifah was a lesbian before everyone knew she was a lesbian. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yo, Queen Queen was like that. Queen used to, I remember we used to go to the club. I don't think that I'm saying anything anybody doesn't already know. No, I think everyone knows she's a lesbian. <laughs> but 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 not just that she's a lesbian, but that she's Harder than any motherfucker. <laughs> Harder than any stud butch that yes. I had. Like, you mean the Oscar Award winner that started as a rapper? Yes, I can yes, buy that. Yes, yes. <laughs> and she she walked in. I remember she walked into Peanuts, um, which was this club, uh, black lesbian club that I used to do um, promotion out of. And I remember I was 17, 18, and I'm just sitting there handing out cards, and I see Queen, and I'm like, and I got so excited. And as quick as that, like maybe 15 minutes later, she walks out with all the girls who are dancing. And I'm like, oh, oh, man. In her Bronco. And I'm like, that is energy. How, how do I grow up and be that? <laughs> That's amazing. No, oh, I mean, Jada, Jada is like, Jada's I'm a real fly. sucker for dark skin and light eyes. Like mm-hmm. that light eyes thing is like that piercing light eyes thing is very incredible so this is telling us her fetish and yes this is why you got on the team moji (laughs) yeah also also, i'm like only a white woman would call jada a (laughs) (laughs) dark-skinned that's hilarious very fair very fair i feel i feel very owned right now in a proper way no no but but talk talk more about jada i love talking about jada Oh, so no, then we just did it. And, and I swear to God, like, I think that everybody was just so relieved to like, I was their news reporter and their comedy relief at that moment. They were just like, everybody got such a shock because think about this. Will Smith is like the, like if Kanye is over here, Will Smith is over here and, and Will did the Kanye. Yeah. And it fucked with people's minds. So hardcore. They were just like, oh shit. And then, like, I mean, it's you, you know what I'm saying when it's a Kanye moment. And so white people's was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> we can't like him now either. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I was wondering, D, because when I saw it, I was like, I've had five different incidents in my shows where people have been removed from mm. wanting to attack me on stage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And shockingly, it wasn't for punching down, it was for actually. Uh, and not for like, and not for like taking them on as a heckler, like because right. I was saying political things, yep. right? Yep. And two of those people w- waited in the parking lot, and I had to be like taken home, right? Yeah. And so, as a comic, like my first reaction was, "Oh my god, I feel really scared for comedians." Yeah, like, I, ha- I hated Chris Rock's joke, and and I wondered how you felt as a comic, if even if you could remove yourself from having it be Will Smith and Chris Rock, and having it be Someone said a joke. We have all have feelings about punching down and the joke about Jada, but like that somebody just reactionarily to took the a stage. Comic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not with it. I'm not with it at all. Like, right? I like. I think that probably my immediate reaction was like, oh, Will was. There's some beef here. There's like serious beef here that Will just flashed on. But then I. But then it was like, after that little pinch of thinking that I was like, wait, what the fuck? And then also I'm like, uh, I even mentioned that I'm like, I know it's Chris Rock. Like he's a comedian. He's a, you know, he's going to crack jokes. People have heard worse things all the fucking time, this, that, and other. But I, I too was just like, oh shit. Cause one of my other homegirls was talking about how like, you know, she was shutting down everybody immediately saying that Will did right by Jada and this and other because she was just like, this is not cool at all. As a woman on stage, people coming out for me and, you know, people are coming for a comedy show, you know that you're going to get offended on some level, you know what I'm saying? Or or something might not rub you the right way. But for for comics to then have to fear for their life is a whole nother that's just like, I'm like, I don't want to ever, as a trans comic, I've already put myself in positions in general where I have mm. to worry for my life. If the, if the stage is like sacred space for me, that's the last place that I want to fight a battle. You know what I'm saying? I want to be able to have like the chance to actually express myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that you said the stage is your sacred space because um, I noticed that you started off as a spoken word artist. And mm-hmm. I feel like I see that when I like look at your writing and kind of even the way you talk and how do you merge the this art form between like being a spoken word artist or I don't know if you call yourself formerly known as a spoken word artist and a comedian. Like how do you yeah. move between those two and find the the ways that they mesh? It's so deep. There's like poet Nilo and then there's like punk ass Nilo. <laughs> and um and I, you know, like right now, I am, I'm, I'm doing um, Beth Lapidus. I think that's how you say her. Lapidus. Lapidus. She was here. And yeah, I'm doing her show tomorrow, and and you know, it's comedy, and I'm sitting here crying every day, <laughs> and and so I'm writing a lot of poetry because you know that thing. It's like if I don't start with the poetry, then I don't. You nobody's gonna get the comedy right. Nobody's going to be able to, mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to even be created. The comedy won't get created. So the, the poems are like, I think that sometimes I have internalized my own transphobia so much that I feel like I have to be palatable for people to, um, to, to receive what I'm giving them. So I have to be like actualized. I have to have gone through the things already and not bring that trauma to the stage. Not, not like trauma in, in deep ways. I'm not trying to, but you know what I'm saying? So I feel like um, 
the the poems are where I just get to like release and write it all out and I don't have to think about any fucking body else. And that's where I that's where I fully, fully, fully like I'm not here with it. I'm more right. Like it's all raw coming right here. So then that's where I go. And I feel like people need to witness that, too. You know what I'm saying? That this is not this this funny punk ass dealer isn't without this this part of himself. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I think that it's and now I think that as I work through all of this stuff, I'm like, yeah, you know, I have to honor the fact that I'm a writer, a poet. Like, that's how I started. And that and that this pain also is like part of the, the same compassion that I'm trying to elicit in the world has to also um, the people have to kind of witness this part as well, you know? Yeah. And, and folks are really, folks are really going to have the opportunity because I want to remind our listeners that you're rebooting your one person show at yeah. a time also when queer lives continue to be profoundly yes. under attack. Yeah. And you know, like across the board, nationally, internationally. Can you tell us a little bit about the show and the importance of rebooting it in this moment for you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a couple of things that I did want to say. I've been for the first time I'm doing like longer sets at the colleges again in person. And um, it was it was strange because during the pandemic and doing the Zoom shows, um, the usually the students like will reach out to me via um, Instagram afterwards. And and uh, DM me like, you know, you mentioned this, can you know, and I always have a Q&A afterwards as well. But since I've done, I've done like about three colleges this past week all over the fucking map. And they, the, I, I feel like college students are scared. You know what I'm saying? Because they're not living in like LA and so it's like all, all over the map. And co- when college students are are also scared, it's like, like, it's not just like, oh, we're going to fight this. Like, it's not that bravado, like, we're going to fight this. It's like, what does this mean for us? And what does this mean mm-hmm. for us back home? Because they're still at the very beginnings of them, like, ex- like understanding themselves, exploring their identity, their, 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 um, their sex. What? <laughs> the what? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and so, like, so many people were like, now this is giving my parents even more of a thing to lean up against because it's mm-hmm. it's church, it's government, it's all these things, and they're just like we we're 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 kind of we're scared and like there's like real emotions I'm feeling in the rooms because like you know they just barely started kicking it together. I think like probably right now if schools just started like last fall they're just they've finally gotten to know each other now and they're just like huddled like going how do we address our parents and then how do we and our family and how do we address this bigger thing that's happening in the world or in the states or whatever so all of that to say that this journey this is the second of a trilogy and um it's the first time that i have been like i've been in la forever and but touring but this is like to have the Kirk Douglas theater kind of to have center theater group recognize me as a LA based theater artist is like mm-hmm. such a big fucking thing. Yeah. So um, unfortunately the schools aren't in session, but like, this is, this is a show obviously for everybody, but it's really tracking like the decisions it to come into um, taking testosterone, but like, through my relationship with my father. And it's about, like, we talk about toxic masculinity all the time. This is, this is me 
really trying to talk about like what does beautiful masculinity look like, especially that I was being that I was raised by TERFs, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. how that shit plays out in our psyche as trans people mm-hmm. when we're when we're trying to do the right thing. And yet we have like people who are just like probably mean well at some point. And don't get me wrong, like a lot of them struggled with me as well. Some of my elders struggled with me, but like a lot of them didn't. A lot of them just shut the door. And so then and, and what does that do if the queer community and queer space is the only place that you feel is safe, you know? Um, so, so yeah, this, these are all the things in the show and it's still comedic. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny. I remember when I saw you, we did a benefit together, um, in Tennessee mm-hmm. and you, it was right when you were starting tea and yeah. you were like, I'm out of my mind. Yeah. I was like, yeah. go for it. And yeah. so, um, I'm so glad that you were, and you were like, I'm really trying to work this out for myself. I'm really trying to figure out. I'm a man and I don't want to be toxic and I'm trying to figure it out and what is happening. Like, so I'm so glad that you have put it out for people to go on a journey with you. I think it's really awesome. Yeah. And I'm so yeah. excited. It's a fun show when y'all, you should come out during the summer and come and check it out. And also it's like the biggest thing to happen in my solo career. You know what I'm saying? So I I'm like all the homies just come out. Yes. 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 Everyone should all come out. Marie, act like, the, act like there's no pandemic. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank D-Lo. You. you can check out Dilo on all the socials at the local kid and find tour dates and info for his show to tea or not to tea up at the Kirk Douglas in Culver city, California theater on in june go to dlocalkid.com for tickets oh my gosh d thank you so much for joining us and for always being just here and amazing i love y'all i'll talk to you soon love you friend and thank you again erin smith you can follow kentucky health justice network on insta and twitter ky health justice and facebook kentucky health justice network And thank you, Tanya Pellegrini from the Lawyer Room Projects for bringing us that great information about Texas and giving us hope. And thank you for listening. That is our show. We are so thrilled you are here. FBK Live is edited by Remy DeTournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. Subscribe, write a review, give us five stars, do all the blah blahs because it's the best way for our podcast to reach more people. And by doing so, you're actually being an activist and helping people learn about this assault on abortion access. And to keep up with all the latest repro news between episodes, follow us on social at Abortion Front on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. Email us at podcast at aafront.org. We want to hear from you. If we read your email on air, we will send you a shirt. And I'm mobbing Moji for crop tops. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> woo, woo, woo! Activism alert. Save the date, July 17th for Operation Save Abortion. As we are about to enter a post-Row America, we want people to learn all the ways they can activate Operation Save Abortion. It's not a march, it's your training day. Sign up for email alerts on our website, aafront.org, to be notified when registration goes live. And while you're there, grab some cool merch, maybe those crop tops that Marie's talking about that don't exist yet. And watch out for next week. We have a great show with guests Cece Caruso and Amani Wilson-Shabazz from Plan C coming to talk about the wonderful world of abortion pills and why we should all be evangelizing for them. 
and our favorite comedian from her Peacock special, Lovejoy, Joyelle Nicole Johnson joins us. And lastly, to support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Access Front, drop a few tax-deductible coins in our coffers at aafront.org. Folks, tell people where they can find you. I'm at Mojilocks on all the socials. And I'm at MconJ. You can also find the organization I'm with, uh, Midwest Access Coalition, our practical support fund online as well. You can visit us at midwestaccesscoalition.org slash donate. Give to them. They are great. And Marie is great. Uh, so is Moji, but Midwest Access Coalition <laughs> doing a shit ton of work. Um, and I'm at Liz Winstead on all the socials. And finally, if burnt sperm sounds um, like something that you want to explore, we leave you with two men giving a sales pitch just for you. See you next week. If you want to optimize and take it uh, to another level, expose yourself to red light therapy. Yes. Um, and the juve um, that we were using in the documentary, there's a massive amount Which of it. Which is ed- testicle tanning. It's testicle tanning, but it's also full body uh, red light therapy, uh-huh. which has massive amount of benefits. And there's so much data out there um, that isn't being picked up on or covered. So obviously half the viewers right now are like, what? That's cr- testicle tanning? That's crazy. But my view is, OK, testosterone levels like crash and nobody says anything about it. That's crazy. So why is it crazy to seek solutions? It's not crazy to seek solutions. And I think um, I was recently exposed to a term called bromeopathy. And I think there's a lot of people out there right now that um, are, don't trust the mainstream information. Feminist Buzzkills Live, the podcast from Abortion Access Front.